Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, we proudly bring to you at Studio 212 in the heart of Seattle, Washington. This is Physical Culture Radio. I'm your super dope host with the most, Greg Jones, at Coach Greg Jones Instagram and Facebook. And want to wish my co-host in absentia a happy birthday today. And it is Chris Edmonds' birthday today. So happy birthday to Chris. Woo! Um, Chris is in the middle of his prep, uh, just like me. He's actually competing a few weeks after me as I compete on November 2nd. And he competes, I think, on, let's see, the 16th, November 16th. So he is suffering uh, like I am. And uh, so you'll have to forgive me if uh, a few words get sputtered out incorrectly as I'm dying pretty hard now. My carbohydrates are under 100 grams a day right now and doing about 40 minutes of cardio six days a week, mostly fasted. Um, so it's, it's a, it's, it's a tough time for us bodybuilders and physique competitors when we do shows right before the show, you really have to suffer and you really have to maintain, uh, your, uh, and deal with your hunger pangs and diet and not give in. And it, it, it's not easy. Um, there's always lots of, uh, things around you that, you know, will tempt you people that will try to knock you off uh, and get you off your diet for some weird fucking reason. I don't know why people get off on doing that. They eat, you know, crappy and then, you know, want to get you eating crappy too. It's it's invariably, it, I see it every time I do a prep. But I want to chronicle uh, this week's, or excuse me, this prep and in, in the months and weeks leading up to where I'm at now. So I'm two and a half weeks out. I competed on the second. Like I said, it's October 14th today. So got two weeks and a couple of days left, uh, two weeks and four days, I believe, um, five days to compete and get on stage. But the last week is pretty much fine tuning. So um, we, we pretty much make the last push up into the week before. Um, unlike a lot of coaches that start messing around with all kinds of shit that last week, you know, our philosophy is a little bit different. Basically, you get yourself in really good condition. Um, so you're not having to manipulate a ton of different factors in the last peak week and, you know, depleting a ton and loading a ton and messing around with your salt and trying to lose fat still. If you're not in shape the week before a show, um, you're probably not ready to do that show. So I'm going to go over the calories first as I was just kind of giving you the basic philosophy and I'm going to go over where Chris and I started this diet for myself at the beginning of July, I think July 6th, if I'm looking at my Excel spreadsheet and my macros is when the first installment of my diet came. So this would have been 17 weeks out. And given that there's, you know, with our macro plans, there's a, a non-weight day eating plan. There's a, a weight training eating plan. So you always get more calories, typically more carbs, typically on the days that you train. The days you do not train, you do not. Matter of fact, I don't even want to take a day off at this point, this close to show. I don't feel I need it. I feel like I'm recovering great and eating great with all this clean food. And plus, uh, I'm going to go over the non-workout eating plans, what we would look like two weeks before 
a show and you literally do not get any carbs except for veggies. So I don't want to take a day off. Yeah, no, carbs are carbs are tasty. Yeah, carbs are tasty. Carb, carbs are life. <laughs> um, so, so real quick, actually, before yeah. we go back, you said something about doing fasted cardio. Right. So what is the benefit of doing fasted cardio versus just whatever? Okay, so fasted cardio, uh, for those of you who don't know the difference between post-lift, just regular hit cardio, and fasted cardio, I'm going to explain the three. When you've slept all night, you've been in a fasted state. That's why breakfast is called break the fast. So you fasted all night. Most of the time, your body has eaten through its glycogen stores to run its systems as you sleep. You're not running around and doing a bunch of stuff. Your body's still living and breathing and digesting and, um, you know, perspiring and um, burning calories even at rest. It's your resting metabolic rate. So the thought is, the philosophy is that if you've slept or have, let's say you ate at 9 p.m. and then you wake up at, let's say, 7 a.m., you have fasted for 10 hours and you wake up and you don't have much glycogen left in the liver and in the muscles, which is where it's stored. So what happens is you wake up and you do fasted cardio. Your your body will more readily go into its fat stores for energy at this point, and it will burn that stored fat. The reason why you want to do low intensity, steady state and not get up and do a fucking hit workout or Tabata intervals or something too crazy and too hard. It's because you'll start burning muscle too, concomitantly along with fat stores. And you don't want to do that. You just want to burn the fat. So fasted uh, cardio is a very effective way to burn the fat is the glycogen stores are empty in the muscles. And at any one time you hold about a hundred grams of uh, carbohydrates, uh, mostly in the muscles, but also in the liver. You store this as glycogen in those two places. Protein does not store in the body. Protein is simply muscle. So you break down protein, you're breaking down muscle. But fat stores save, and to a limited extent, carbohydrates stores save a little bit in the body. It's limited though. So the other, before I get into gluconeogenesis and what that means and explain how we burn muscle and fat and through that process, I'm going to go over the other kinds of cardio. So post-lift cardio is kind of akin to fasted cardio in a way where as we lift, we're also going to expend those glycogen stores lifting the weights, right? So we're using up the glycogen stores as we lift weights. So what we want to do is then do cardio after we've done that post-lift. Then we more readily will go into the fat stores than if we eat a meal and, and do the cardio first and then work out. So it, you, you want to structure it the, at the right time and in the right manner. So post-lift means lift your weights then do the cardio afterward. Now, a HIIT workout, um, high-intensity interval training, and a cardiovascular workout that's also going to push the anabolic thresholds and work the muscles as well, will also burn actually more calories overall, and it's going to burn 
more fat calories, but it's also going to burn up protein too. So overall, your net amount of calories burned are going to be the most in your HIIT workouts. But the problem is, so now getting back to what that uh, gluconeogenesis means, your body is always in a small state of gluconeogenesis. What that means is it's always burning fat and it's always burning a little bit of protein through that. Now, it may be a very minuscule amount, but your body is always in that process and ready to burn stored fat and ready to eat up its muscle in order to save its stored fat for times of starvation. So we're built on a preservation kind of basis where your body wants to remain in homeostasis. The goal of the body is to, to remain the same. So that's homeostasis. So what it does is it will burn a little bit of muscle. It will burn a little bit of fat to maintain its weight. And that's called gluconeogenesis. When you exhaust all the glycogen stores, you more re- you, you're, you're in a bigger amount of gluconeogenesis. And what that means is your body is turning fat and protein into glucose for energy. So gluconeogenesis means it's causing those to become glucose in the body. Number one, to fuel the brain, which is the first priority, and then to fuel the body. Uh, what it means with, with bodybuilding is you always want to control these factors to a more or to a lesser extent. Now, when you're getting closer to a show like I am, you're going to be more in a gluconeogenesis state, a higher amount, because you're going to burning burning more fat. The, the goal is, is to eat a, a shit ton of protein and preserve as much muscle as you possibly can, burn as much fat as you possibly can, and save that muscle and not burn it up. And, and so you look good on stage. So if you take a marathon runner, and for those of you that don't know, there's this guy that just ran under two hours. Yeah. Did you see that? They it's broke the record. Five mile. So yeah, like 456 miles for 26. Yeah. Which is freaking unreal. Sub five minute miles for 26. The guy is is part fucking gazelle for, for doing that. So so kudos for that record being broke. But this this was actually a really big one. I don't know how long ago what their benchmarks were before well, that. Let's be honest. Nine out of ten people can't run a sub five minute mile once. Yeah. For yeah. So for sixteen hundred meters, let alone twenty six miles straight. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's insane. It's insane. But my my point with the marathon runner and marathon runners or endurance athletes is they have a very efficient system at burning blood ketones and muscle. If you look at the upper bodies of most marathon runners, they, these guys don't look like sprinters. They don't look like mesomorphic linebackers or running backs. They're they're not built guys. They have kind of emaciated upper bodies because they're doing a sport which burns a lot of muscle. And inherently, when they run a race like that, that takes two to three hours, you're going to be in that state of gluconeogenesis where you're burning fat and you're burning muscle and you're not preserving muscle. So they, I mean, I know, I know a lot of them fat load and like eat pizza or a lot of them drink carbohydrates and carbohydrate load for a couple of days before the show. 
But remember, the carbohydrates are very limited. You have to keep slamming car carbohydrates and gels and, you know, uh, whatever drinking stations as you're going along and stay hydrated. But your fat stores, I, you know, they probably try to build up their fat stores as much as possible going into a big race like that so they can draw upon those. I know the ultra marathoners, the guys that run like 100 miles, they literally will be eating and slamming pizza. As they go. As they go. Uh, Dean so, Karnazzi's talked about having pizza delivered to him on the road. Right, right. Which, and a pizza just sounds fucking amazing right now know, in, my, right? in my dieted state. <laughs> so, so okay, so back to the diet. I, I've explained, you know, the different forms of cardio, why we do them, the timing of, of how we do them. Now I'm going to go over specific macros and where I started about 17 weeks out. 17 weeks out, I was given a diet where we're trying to push calories. I was over 220 pounds, about 225, 222. I was, I don't know, a little over 10% body fat, maybe 12, maybe 11, something like that. I didn't have abs at the beginning. I'd taken a couple years off at surgery last year. Or so I wasn't in great shape going into this prep like I was the prep going into 2017. At any rate, uh, we wanted to push the calories. And at the beginning of the prep, 17 weeks out, my protein was at 411 grams a day. Carbs were at 439. Fat was at 70. My calories were about 4,000. So this is what we were pushing. We started to do three days a week cardio, 30 minutes, I believe is what we started with. And this was, like I said, 17 weeks out. Now I'm going to go into couple weeks after that. So I'm going to pull up 720, uh, 2019. So 15 weeks out. And at this point, calories got dropped about 400 or 500. Fat got dropped by 10 grams. Carbohydrates got dropped from 411 to 342. And the protein remained about somewhere around 400. It was 398. Now we pulled up the end of August. Now we see the big difference. So another 500 cal calories taken off, 226 grams of carbs, 48 grams of fat, 29.26 overall calories. Protein is still at 400 grams. So eight weeks out, carbohydrates were down to 226. Now you pull up three weeks after that. So 920. And we did something a little interesting. I had an emphasis to push... My arms and my shoulders, those are my weak points from a couple years ago that the national judges told us. So we keep, on those two days, we kept higher carbs, 413. Fat went all the way down to 12, protein 423. So 3,400 calories on those two days where I do arms and heavy push day. All other training days, 190 grams of carbs, 2,600 calories, 2,677. So what we did is on those two days, we're not creating much of a deficit. We're trying to push volume and push carbohydrates and push size and keep my fullness and my, and it's work. My arms look better as you'll see in a couple weeks. So 928, now my carbohydrates a month out or 117 grams a day, still 400 grams of protein, 388, 31 grams of fat. So fat strapped down. Overall ca calories are 2,300. And now I'm at this point, cardio went from 30 minutes, six days a week. It just went to 40 minutes, six days a week. So not only am I eating 2,300 calories, 
but my my cardio has gone up significantly. And now if I pull up 1010, so 1010 is three weeks out, right? So if you look at my non-weight days, my calories now, 90 grams of carbs a day, still 400 grams of or 400 grams of protein, 90 grams of carbohydrates, 16 grams of fat, 2,100 calories with 40 minutes of cardio. This is how you get in shape right before a show. But you can see as I've chronicled from 17 weeks out to 15 weeks out to 12 weeks out to eight weeks out, how it's a slow maturation process of as you come into the show, the protein stays high, carbohydrates slowly start to come down, cardio slowly starts to go up. So it's not at the most, it was like 500 calories, then 500 calories, then 500 calories. But this is over every like three weeks. And so your body gets used to it. You're keeping protein high. You're keeping your muscle as you slowly bring the fat down. And so I, I think the, the question I have listening to all that is, at what point are you in danger of losing some of that muscle? Because it seems at like- any point. At any point, if you don't get enough sleep, if you overtrain with your workouts, but generally speaking, when when you're having that much protein and you're eating six to seven times a day and you still have a little bit of carbohydrates in you, you're, you're going to be in gluconeogenesis. You're going to be in that muscle burning state a little bit, but you try to keep it as negligible as possible. And I, I feel like if you look at my physique over when I'll get when I'll get on stage from like a month out, it doesn't look like I lose a ton of muscle. It's a, a little bit will come off invariably, but most of it will be the the fat. So off. are you? And so at the beginning of this prep, are you intentionally packing on as much as you can to offset some of that loss down the road? To a certain extent, not to where it gets too hard to make your prep. So. You know, if you get above fifteen percent body fat as a guy, you've gone way too high. Well, I don't mean I don't I don't even mean on the body fat side. I just mean on the on the on the muscle side, because I mean uh, you guys compete in weight classes, right? Right, but you just move up a weight class. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So my weight class, I'm in no, I'm in, I'm not threatening being a super heavyweight because my weight class goes from one ninety eight. To 225. Okay, so you got a pretty big range. So I got a big range, and I competed as light heavy. I competed under 198 at the last show. So I'm in no, like, I'll, I'll try to come in 203 to 205. And actually, at nationals, I cut all the way down to 192 so I could do classic physique as well. I weighed 194 at the WA State coming into that as a light heavy. So we're looking at, you know, around seven to eight pounds more stage weight okay. this year. So uh, now you said if you hit more than 15% body fat, you know, uh, leading up to your contest, you're in trouble. What do you actually get down to by the day you're ready? About three. And with that 3%, you know, you'll, you'll have striations. Your glutes will start to be striated. Um, that's when you know you're under five. So I could go get it tested, but I know it's I know it's under five and four once the glutes start to come in. Most people ha- kind of have a problem bringing those in and getting that peeled. And it's been tougher this prep because I did take so much time off. And what I'm realizing is the last show that I did um, was six 
months removed from the show before. And so it was a much easier prep going from show to show six months out. This this show, last time I competed was July of 2017. And it's now October of 2019. So that's, you know, two years and three, four months. And see, that's crazy for a normal person to think about because, yeah. you know, I, I see you pretty much on a, a weekly basis, a couple of times a week, and you've yeah. never looked out of shape. It's, never, it's not like no. you've ever been... Uh, uh, it's like, oh, so when you talk about having trouble getting cut and it's been w- more difficult this time, I think a lot of normal people that just even even the people that work out a lot are just going to be kind of like not understanding right. how difficult it is to do what you do. Yeah. To the naked eye, when when you look at somebody in clothes or in a tank top and they're around 10 or 11 percent body fat or right around single digits, they look in pretty good shape. But then when you look at me in a tank top in the last month and you'll look at me on stage, you'll see a difference with my shirt off and it'll look pretty freaky. You'll you'll see a big difference in my face. My face will be really drawn. It's already starting to get a little bit more drawn, especially as you get the water out at the, at the tail end. But yeah, most people think when I'm in the off season, they're like, you're in great shape. What do you mean you're starting prep and going to lose a bunch of fat? And it's like, well, no, I'm in good shape. I'm not in great shape. And I think there's there's distinguishing between the two when it when it comes along the lines and you're talking about bodybuilding, getting stage ready. It's also something that you're not going to hold for a long period of time. Although I could do multiple shows in a row. And if I do plan on doing nationals or North Americans or, or what have you next year to get my pro card is I'm not doing a pro qualifier here in my first show back. I'm just doing another national qualifier. I'll remain closer to shooting distance of, of, a, of a pro qualifier. I, I won't let myself go as far as I did as like the last couple of years. But I also had surgery summer of 2018 and that, you know, so what's kind, kind of, of an ideal show schedule for you? Where is it every six months? Is it every four months? Like what is the, uh, you know, most, most bodybuilders would say in order to make improvements and put on size and to make gains in the off season, you need at least a year. Uh, so a year between shows, a year between shows that gives you ample amount of time to slowly reverse your diet back out of the show Put on lean muscle without getting too, you know, too much body fat put on, but be able to put on enough muscle so that when you do hit a prep again, whether it's 12 or 16 weeks out, three or four months out from a show, which, you know, if you're talking about a four month prep and there's 12 months in a year, you're only talking about eight months of, of growing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really in, in those relative terms, as far as putting on five, 10 pounds of muscle is not really that much time. And so another quick question, you mentioned backing out of the diet. Right, reverse dieting. Uh, reverse dieting. Let's talk about that a little bit because yep. I, I, I mean, for most people, reverse dieting, great. Fucking ice cream and pizza and cookies. Yeah. So yeah. Is, is there a specific system you have to follow as you go yeah. back out? Yeah. So you're, you're still going to be checking in with your coach. I'll still check in with Chris. After you show, you really got to watch the people, persons, and places, and things that you hang around because you're going to want to, and your friends are going to want to go, oh, well, you're done with your show. Let's go get a drink. 
let's go get some pizza. Let's go get a hamburger. Let's let me take you out to steak because now, you know, you're off your show. Well, you do that for two, three months and your body fat's shot up again and you're not reverse dieting anymore. Reverse dieting technically means you're taking. So if I get down to like 50 or 100 grams of carbohydrates, of course, I'm going to have a couple of cheat meals. I'm going to have cheesecake. I'm going to have whatever after the show, maybe a drink, hamburger, fry, whatever. You know, you're going to freak out for like a day or two. Then you check back in and then you slowly take your carbohydrates from 100 to 200. And then 200 to 300. And then the same way that you've backed into the show where 500 calories at a time you've dropped. Well, now 500 calories at a time you add but it's going to be a little bit more of a slow process as you slowly put that muscle and more muscle, ideally more muscle on. You you don't want to just immediately go to four or 5,000 calories a day because your body's not used to it. And you're just going to store it as fat because it's not, it hasn't, it's not on that time frame anymore. So what, what backed you into the show, you then back out of it back into back into putting on muscle and so taking that to a, a, a more of a layman's application i guess yeah. is do you think that's what happens with a lot of people who hit these really hard diets whether it's a fad diet or whether it's something they just hit and then all of a sudden uh it's it's mental it, and all of a sudden yeah. they just back out of it and they're like ah screw it i'm gonna go have barbecue five right? nights a week right do, does does going back at it that hard work the same way for a normal person? Whereas if you've been eating well for six months and suddenly you say, screw it for a month, are you going to gain much more weight in that month than you would have otherwise? Yeah, because you're number one, your body, um, your body's putting on, out lots of appetite hormones, ghrelin and, and, and what have you, because it wants to restore those body fat levels to something more comfortable. Remember that the whole homeostasis thing where your body is comfortable in being and not being in fucking starvation mode anymore. So it's going to want to get up to a more, you know, let's say like eight to 10% body fat, but, but you'll get to that and then you'll, you'll keep turning those. And this is the problem with people when they get overweight is these appetite hormones get turned on. They don't get turned off and they'll just keep feeding fat. Fat is a live living, breathing being in your body that wants to be fed. So the appetite hormones will keep up and you just keep feeding. I mean, you hear about these people that get, you know, morbidly obese and they're like, I eat this many sandwiches and these, you know, I, I slam these sodas and, you know, my mom brings me these and that. And it's because they've turned on that thing and, and it doesn't get turned off. So I think what happens is we're creatures of habit. Yeah. So if we get into the habit of eating crap and eating a lot, it's hard to turn that thing off, whether it's whether it's, you know, that burgers and fry, you know, at lunch every day or or having a hamburger or just allowing yourself ice cream at night, three, four days a week. We, we become that we become that creature and that becomes our habit. Now, we've already created this habit of eating clean. So basically, you're just furthering this habit of eating clean, but you slowly start to add in calories in a more scientific way with the reverse dieting. And it's a more manageable way for your body. And it's more manageable for your body. It's not. And plus it's, it's going to be so it's probably harder on your body coming back out, eating a bunch of crap than it is taking it all out, going into a show. 
um, because you're eating clean food, you're taking all the processed crap out of it. If you put all that stuff back in, your digestion's fucked. You know, you feel like crap. You're going to be lethargic. Your sleeping is going to not be as tight. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons why it's beneficial to do that. But 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 I think the biggest thing and the biggest take and what I've known from my preps and what I've known competing and what I've known getting people, guys and girls ready for shows is when they turn it off, it's a mental thing. And when it gets turned off, it's completely off. And then there's so if you leave it on, you can control it. Yeah. Uh, if you turn it off, there's there's no controlling it. It's yeah. like we're, you know, a, you're setting yeah. the bull loose in the arena. Right. 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 So, you know, after the show, I'm definitely going to enjoy I'm going to enjoy some holiday meals. Um, I'm going to have a fun Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, may go to Mexico next year um, for my birthday. Uh, but I'm going to get I, I, I will reverse diet um, if it. If it if it provides mental relief for people to do like one or two cheat meals a week and then they tell their family and friends, yeah, you know, Friday and Saturday night, I've earmarked for going out and having fun and having a drink and um, eating whatever I want. But but the rest of the week, you're reverse dieting and it's a certain amount of carbs. You're already used to making these meals. You're already used to eating slam and the protein. But go out and have a little bit of fun too, but also stick to your shit during the week. Yeah. So that's my thing is provide that mental relief for yourself, but then, you know, have the stick to itiveness to be able to adhere to this because if it's a part of your lifestyle now, make it your lifestyle. Yeah. You know, don't, don't keep, you know, turning the light switch off and on back and forth, back and forth. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense at that well, point. Well, it doesn't help. No. It doesn't do anything for you. No. No, no, uh, I, I can testify to that part. No. <laughs> so after the show, you know, you look at the pictures, you reevaluate where you're at. You're OK. How much how much weight did I my stage weight? What did I weigh in at? What did I weigh in two years ago? How do I look? What did the judges say? You evaluate all all that feedback and then you make a game plan for what you're going to do next. Um, and you know, you set goals, you know, you, you know, you, if you have to reassess them and reestablish new ones or, you know, your short-term ones and your long-term ones, that's a part of this process too. And doing it with a coach or doing it with somebody that knows what they're doing. And then you reestablish all that for you saying, come up with a new game plan for, for 2020 or 2021 or what have you, depending on, you know, kind of where you're at with getting on stage or not. And even if you're not getting on stage and you're just doing this to get in shape, it's good to have these goals and it's good to have a game plan. It's good to have the, you know, the short term, the long term versions of them. So, um, well, guys, thanks a lot for listening to another episode of Physical Culture Radio. For Chris Edmonds, this is Greg Jones and tune in next time. Thanks a lot.